want to thank God that he's helping us. And, um, you know, many times I have thoughts in my mind, and I just wonder if something like this had hit uh, in 2013, 2014, when we were just starting this mission. We would have done something, but I'm not quite sure we would have been this ready to have been able to cope. And, uh, but God knows everything anyway. Uh, but that continues to assure me that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is real. Nothing that you will ever go through that God knows that you don't have capacity to take. It is the lie of the devil when you are going through something to make you feel that this can overwhelm you because God's word cannot be broken. And I know that we are, what we are, we are where we are today and doing what we are doing right now because God knew that we will be able to do this. And God knows what we'll be able to do even tomorrow and uh, next month and next year, Jesus starting to come and so on and so forth. So let us continue to be comforted in these words because God is on the throne. I want to say thank you to everybody who has been working hard uh, in the, in, in, in behind the scenes in the things that have to do with the running of the church uh, ministry. There is a lot that goes on. We always have admin work going on and so many things going on and the sidelines. And um, also those who have been uh, working hard to keep the prayer chain going every morning, Monday to Friday. I thank God for your lives. You don't know what you are doing. You may not know. Let me say you don't know. You may not know what you are doing. You, 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 are, you are doing much more than you can imagine. Those are the words I'm trying to find. And I want to thank God for your lives. Let's keep praying. Let's keep trusting God. Our world needs prayer more than ever before. Not just our church. The world needs prayer more than ever before. And I want to thank those that have been laboring, the life singers, uh, particularly the, the, the Odessoyers. I want to thank God for your life. Um, it's, it's, it's so false that we, we have had to do a lot of sessions the way we've done them. But And uh, you've been rising up to the challenge. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Everyone else in Life Singers, I know you meet, you pray, you are planning, and I am grateful. Every service group, thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for continuing to, to hold the fort. You see, it is matters like this that prove one's sincerity to God, not just to a, a mission. One's sincerity to God. Those times that things suddenly turn to the unusual, and you can still find commitment, you can still find loyalty, you can still find people giving of their time and their money, their resources. That is when you know that there is actually the sincerity in the hearts of people to serve the Lord in the place he has called them. So I do not make light of your commitment, and I know that God is just preparing us for the launch of a new phase. Our hall has been revamped a lot, and by the grace of God, when we start to meet again, you will see that a lot has been going on even in the hall here as well. And by the special grace and mercies of God, we will have a lot of reasons to celebrate. I can hardly wait to see you again physically and, uh, you know, not across uh, Zoom and all these things. We have been seeing each other in the last couple of months. It's almost like a dream. So, but we want to thank God. And so this morning, I would like to go into our message. Uh, we have been on a series of the uniqueness of Christ one of the most important series, I believe, since the foundation of this church to lay an emphasis for nine solid weeks on who Christ is, what he has come to do, and what he represents, and what he is coming back to do, and then what he expects us to do in between. This is all found in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we, have been start, we have been looking at the book right from chapter one, and uh, God has helped us to go through the first 10 chapters. We are now on the last uh, three or four, Hebrews 11 to Hebrews 13, the last three chapters, Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. And today we are starting on Hebrews 11, 
part one. We are going to go from verse one to verse 22, as you have heard in the course of the Bible reading. And so the, the, in this series, uh, the, as we can see in our banner, the uniqueness of Christ we have split into nine sessions, but uh, in those six major headings, because the perfect high priest and uh, the heritage of Christ are sessions that took two sessions, or will take two sessions each. And um, today we are starting on the heritage of faith in Christ, our great heritage of faith in Christ, part one. And next week we will look at the great heritage of faith in Christ from the second half of the book of Hebrews. So we want to thank God. The key thing to keep remembering about the uniqueness of Christ is that he is supreme. He is supreme. There is no savior like him. He is supreme. He rules over all. He is he, he, he is fully God and he was fully man when he came to the earth. There is no one comparable to Christ. And we also recognize that he is the perfect, not just our high priest, but the perfect high priest. Because our forefathers had had high priests who were human. But when Christ came, he became the perfect high priest. The one who was qualified to go before the Lord and not just go with the bulls, uh, blood of bulls and goats, but also the, his own blood, but rather his own blood, which made him perfect. And he was able to rise again as the testator of the new covenant, which we looked at last week, that he was the testator. He is the author. He is the mediator. He is the signature that ratified the new covenant. And we talked about that all of last week, that this is a better covenant than that which our forefathers had. And we are grateful that we are partakers of this better, this new and better covenant in Christ. But we also ended up by saying that now places a demand on us, a demand of response, a demand of action, a demand of also being the living sacrifice. That who had sacrificed his life for us expects us to be the living sacrifice. So what we want to look at in Hebrews chapter 11 is our heritage of faith. And the Bible gave that litany of, the, uh, uh, of, of those who had gone ahead of us so that we can learn some things about their faith and see how we can also use that to inform our response to God today in our day-to-day living. So this season, this session is a focus on the heritage of faith in Christ, part one. We know that the newness of life in Christ is not something we worked for. We know this, and every Christian should know this. Every Christian should be able to explain this. Because the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says to us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. The faith we have is a gift of God. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you see, the Bible says there was a time the word of God was scarce. So even to have the word of God released to us and for us to believe it and have faith means that God gave it to us. It is the gift of God. So the grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. Then the gift of the word of God was given also to all men so that men can hear it and have faith to accept the grace. And so our salvation journey started. We have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not what we have done, 
not what we will ever do. Only work required from us was to respond to the gift of God. The Bible says God so loved the world, he gave. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That gift is given to the entire of the human race. And as many that received that word, John 1.12 says, for as many that he received him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. And so it is important for us to now understand what this faith is. What is this faith? What is the basis of it? Even though God has given us faith to respond to him, there is something that we need to understand about faith because it forms uh, the, the framework of our journey in eternity. Ever since we responded to the salvation call by faith, we are also expected to live by faith. The Bible says, for the just shall live by his faith. So it becomes our lifestyle. It becomes our, our uh, 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 center. It becomes the power that drives our lives. Now, faith has so been trivialized in our day and age to just be something that believers especially uh, modern-day Pentecostal believers have sort of adapted to mean something you have to do in order to claim things on the earth. Whilst that holds some elements of truth, it is such a minute aspect of the truth of what faith is. Faith is not just something you demonstrate in order to buy a car or buy a house or get married or have children or get a degree or faith to start a business and, and make it prosper. It, those things are very, very, very small, very, very infinitesimal in the scheme of what faith really is. This is why when God was speaking through the writer of Hebrews to the Jews, he said he had to define faith to them because before that time, they were understanding how their forefathers like Abraham and Noah and Enoch were people of faith by just simply believing God. But they did not have this concept of how Christ and the faith that Christ expects us to manifest was going to work. So the, the, at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer said to them in Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, from verse 1, he said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, if you read different translations, different versions, you will find many words that substitute these things. But bottom line is that the word substance is always equivalent to foundation. It's always equivalent to substructure. In those of us who, who, who know about buildings and deal with buildings, we have what is called the substructure. Those things you don't see, but hold up the building. The foundation. Those things that are usually beneath the earth, that, that interact with the earth to hold up the building that everybody can see. And at times, they are so so deep and so, so significant that you can't imagine what they hold up. So the, 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 the Bible says that faith is the substance, the substructure, the foundation of what? Things hoped for. The things that are hoped for in Christ are precious promises. Precious promises. And as I say, these promises are not just the promises we claim of good health on earth. Of a, of a joyful spirit on earth, or of, uh, of, of, of prosperity, or of those things that, that help us to live 
good and enjoy life and help us to do the work. Perfect and as good as those are, they are not the perfection of those things that we hope for. As children of God, our promises in God is of our eternal rest with him. The life that comes after now, the eternal life that manifests fully at the appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I told you last week that what they had was a good covenant. It helped them to continue to maintain a relationship with God through the Mosaic law. It was a good covenant started by our father Abraham and, uh, and through the Mosaic law and through the Davidic law whereby they eventually moved things to the temple and started to show a bit more of how God was going to relate with man in form of awesome worship, awesome reverence. The worship in the temple was very different from what they had in the tabernacle. In the temple, the priests would be ministering and the glory cloud would come right down and everyone, even the priests and those who were ministering would be so slain and so empowered. And God began to show the awesomeness of the worship that we now enjoy, which is called the worship in spirit and in truth. That doesn't have to be done in the temples built by man, but in the temples of our lives, which we have inhabiting, uh, as inhabiting the Holy Spirit. So the substance is the foundation of the things hoped for is the coming of Christ, the perfection. So I said last week that it was a good covenant they had. In Christ, as we live on earth today, we are in the better covenant. But there is the best part of the covenant that is coming when there will be no more opportunity to sin, no more opportunity to fall ill, no more crying, no more wailing, no more sadness, only joy, only worship, no more work. All that we do day and night is joining the 24 elders and shouting, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God told Abraham that I will take you to a land that I will show you, flowing with milk and honey, as a type of that land that we are going. A land where everything is sweet. A land where everything is peaceful. A land where everything is restful. A land where there can be no more strife, no more toiling. We are still in the place whereby the better covenant helps us to overcome those things, even here on earth. But we must understand that our gaze must never, ever be let go of the best covenant, the best of the covenant that is coming hereafter. So it is the substance of things hoped for. I'm trying to get you to understand what, faith what your faith should be extended to constantly. Because if you leave your faith on the things that you can see here on earth to, to get married and have things and, and, and buy houses and stuff, you, you should change yourself. You will still go to heaven because you are saved, but you should change yourself of the fullness of the joy of having the substance of the things hoped for, the land hoped for, the land of promise hoped for in Christ our Lord. He said in John chapter 14 verse 1, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would not have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. His promise was not just to give us houses here on earth. That's why he said anybody that can forsake everything that is so earthly, if he comes after him, he will have the promise of those things he has said are coming. And even in this life. But if you stay fixated on this life, you lose out of the joy of seeing by faith that which he has provided even in the after now. My mission to you this morning, church, is to stretch your faith. 
whatever your faith has been, to stretch it. Because you see, the faith that stretches into eternity does not end. I want you to go into the substance of things hoped for and to come to the realm of the word evidence. The word evidence means a conviction. Conviction. The word evidence means the, the physical delivery of something that is yet to come. There are word, very difficult words to, 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 to describe it. The evidence, something that you can touch even though it's intangible. Something that you can see even though it's invisible. Something that you can experience even though it has no sound. Something that, that it has no physical sound. Something that you can live in even though you cannot see it. It's a mystery. But the Bible says when you walk in faith and you understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, he begins to shape your mind constantly. He begins to speak to you in such a way that you have this foundation. You have this foundation, this unshakable place that keeps you convinced at all times. So you know that there are precious promises of God that are awaiting you and then you are also having a conviction. A conviction simply means nobody can disabuse your mind anymore. Nobody can confuse you about where you are going anymore. Not the devil, not any of his agents can tell you that you are not worthy of that place anymore. You remain convinced. You remain convinced. So faith must continue to be for you and I the substance, the foundation of the things we hope for in the promises of God and also the things which we have evidenced, which we are convinced are going to come to pass. Verse 2 says to us that for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Our elders obtained a good testimony. We all know that we had different kinds of elders. We had the likes of King David. We had the likes of, uh, uh, of Apostle Paul. We had the lives of Enoch. We had the lives of Abraham. These were all elders. And if you look at all their lives, there is nothing that, that is similar. All of them very different. Very different. Joseph. Very, very different from David. Joseph, very, very different. Moses, very, very different from Isaac. Everybody is different, but they are all our fathers. And they are all our elders. And the Bible says, for by this faith, they all obtain one common thing. One common thing. Even in their time, as people who did not have the fullness manifestation of the promise, because they never saw Christ as man, but the word they had, was their own Christ. The word they had and they acted upon was their own Christ. Don't forget, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So every time God spoke to them, it was, a, it was, an, it was an instruction as if it was something that was of Christ because that is the word of God. Christ, the word of God. And as they acted, the Bible says they all obtained a good testimony. Again, you need to look at that. As varied as their lives were, as feeble as they were, with all of some of their compromises and some of their fallings and rising again, the Bible says they all obtained a good testimony. Everyone has a commonality in this God. It is our faith. That's why the Bible says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, not our spiritual gifts, not our, our faces, not our races. Not what we look like, not what we eat, not, none of those things. By faith, this is the victory that overcomes the world. 
even our faith, 1 John 5, 4. So we must all understand that if our elders obtain a good testimony by it, you and I can also continue to walk in faith to obtain a good testimony by faith. Hallelujah. It's very important for us. And if the elders' walk of faith does not convince you, it goes ahead in verse 3 to say, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God Almighty himself. By the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made not of the things which are visible. You know, the problem of our world today is this very big thing. The reason why our world is rejecting God today is that over time, the devil has succeeded in programming the minds of man to logic. Because you see, logical reasoning helps us to achieve a lot. Logical reasoning helps us to plan. I, I, I have done a lot of work with project management and project planning, and I know that if you are going to do a project, you need to plan logic. You need to plan in a sequence. You need to make sure certain things happen before others, and you plan in good time so that things happen in good time, and then you can achieve your project or your results at the end of the day. Fine. Logic is good. We have logical programming in mathematics. Our, our world today is virtually running on artificial intelligence. Many, many things, many computers you speak to on the phone now are just who, not human beings, but have been project, programmed by logic so that when you speak to them, what you are saying goes into a set of algorithms that have been programmed by logic so that as you are speaking, there is a logical pattern that they can follow to make what is called artificial decisions. So they make decisions for you based on logic and what you are saying. That's why they say to you on the basic ones, they say if you want to speak to social person, press one. If you want to speak to social person, press two. None of those things. All that is computer. But if you press one and you speak the thing, there are a set of rules that it will ask you some questions. As soon as you're asking those questions, it goes down through what is called the decision tree. And then it gives you a decision at the end of the day. And at times it can be frustrating. You can talk like that for 15 minutes only for it to tell you that, okay, now go to one website and get what you wanted. <laughs> because it has been logically programmed. So logic is good. Logic is not bad. But we must understand that if you want to be a person of faith, you must have the capacity to know how to disregard logic. We respect logic. We are, we are proponents of logic. We don't, we don't deny the fact that logic has its place. Scientific logic has its place anytime. But we must understand that if you want to be effective with this God, you have to find a way to develop yourself, not to continue to subject yourself to the realm of logic. Otherwise, you can never walk by faith. Look at verse 3 again. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things which we can handle today did not come out of the things that were visible before. Everything that is manufactured today comes from a process of combining things that exist. Even if it is the air that we cannot see, they take part of it to make, make some other things and make a new gas. If, we, if, if it is the chair you, 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 you sit on, it has taken some metals or some wood or some, some skin, some hide, leather, and so on, rubber from trees and so on to come together and produce that one product. Because the things by man which are visible, created by man, only can come out of the things which are invisible. 
which are visible, as long as it is man. The things which are visible, by, created by man, can only come out of the things which are visible. But God, to help us, God, to, to enable us to be able to be creative, he gives us insight into invisibility because the Bible says he is the king that is invisible. He gives us insight into the invisibility so we can first see a picture of something and then with that invisible picture, in our own limited way, we can now combine things that are visible and make things. That is just a, a, a type of what God did. But in the time of God, he did not have to put two things together that are already visible. Everything is spoke by his word. Let there be light. There was no need for anything to mix with something. And so people were talking about big bank theory and all that. And they're trying to reduce God to logic. <laughs> there was no need. Let there be light. And there was light. Period. Period. Let there be seas. Let there be uh, fishes and, and creatures in the seas. And all the sea creatures responded. Period. No need to have to, to, to put a process of reproduction in place first and all that. It was after that that the process of reproduction was commanded. God who had to by faith, who we must understand by faith, put the word, frame the world by the word of God. We must learn from him to know that if we are to have a world that will continue to take hold of the substance of the things we are hoping for, to take hold of the evidence, the conviction of the promises in God. We must be a people who operate by faith. Second Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house is destroyed, this tent, if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We must never forget this. Everything you can see today will go one day. This is why if a Christian is, 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 is pursuing the rat race and killing themselves like everybody else who, has, who does not have this promise and this hope, it is a pitiful thing. I am not saying don't stretch yourself. I'm not saying don't go for the best things in life. In fact, those things are to be gotten by the children of God as far as I am concerned. Because God gives us the wisdom, he gives us the ability, he gives us the grace. That's no problem. But Jesus came and said, you need to know how to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness so that all these other things shall be added to you. Don't be focused on those things alone. Because when you stay on those things, you lose out on the fact that this is a tent that we are all in. That's your beautiful house. I know it's so beautiful. Everybody comes around and says, wow, this is a lovely place. You live in a nice neighborhood and all that. One day, everything will be reduced to rubble again. Completely destroyed because those things are temporal. Those things are temporal. If you don't believe me, if you, are, if you are 30 years old or 40 years old, go back to where you used to live when you were five years old or ask them to send you the pictures and you'll be surprised what has happened in the neighborhood. You'll be surprised. Some of the houses have been pulling, pulled down, if not the one that you, are, you were living before. <laughs> Some of the houses there have been pulled down. Some of the houses there look so old now that the, 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 the people who have built newer houses around them look, you know, have, have dwarfed it. And those houses used to be the talk of the town many years ago. What I'm saying is because we are in an earthly house. And then we ourselves, these our bodies, are still temporal tents. They are still temporal tents that will degenerate that will go down. 
and be eaten up again by worms. Because there is a new body that is awaiting us as part of this building that is coming from God. It is a house not made with human hands. The Bible says when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be caught up in the air with him. There are many Christians today, Christians, professing Christians that don't even have this understanding. How do I know? Their actions. They say it. They may even preach it. But they are strive for the things of the world and they are fighting and, and, and going brutish and, and just being irresponsible by just wanting to get this and get that and, and trying to cheat and dupe. Shows clearly that they may say they are Christians, but they have no picture of this heavenly hope. When you see this picture, a lot of things, when somebody is dragging something with you, you just leave it for them. It's not that you are foolish. It's not that you are stupid. It's not that you are, you are, you are, you are weak. It just means you are strong in the hope of a better thing to come. And when you live like that, you will even be surprised that even the thing they, they thought they took away from you, God will now give you in diverse ways. I have seen it many times in my life. There is no need being so earthly conscious and forgetting the fact that we have a faith. I'm telling you about proper faith today. So that we, we forget all this, you know, name it, claim it, grab it, and think that that is all that is to faith. That all those things have so watered down Christianity and have made a nonsense of the bl precious blood of Jesus Christ that came to give us access to the real thing, the ultimate thing. This earthly house, this tent is going to be destroyed. But we have a building that is from God. It's a house not made with hands. And it is in the eternal heavens. That is why verse 7 says, For we must continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Everything that we see in the physical with our eyes, we can see them with our physical eyes. But only those who walk by faith can see the supernatural. Only those who walk by faith can see divine supply when it doesn't look it in the physical. The natural eyes cannot see, but there is the spiritual eyes that allows us to see what God is seeing in heaven and is telling us to be rest assured that it is okay. This is why when the, the, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 7, when the, 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 the Syrian army were trying to capture uh, Elisha and Gehazi was with him, the man that was walking by faith saw the chariots of fire surrounding him. But the man that was in the flesh saw only the Syrian army. Oh, how many Christians today are like Jehazi. Just simply only every thought and continual imagination stays in this realm. You can't go far like that. God loves you. He loves you. He wants you up in heaven, but he's, he's, he's virtually crying. That can't you see? Open your eyes. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is the next thing he said? Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. That's faith. That's why when he lifted up five loaves and two fish, all the others were saying, ah, this is not enough to feed people. But he knew that this is not five loaves and two fish I'm holding up. As I'm thanking God here, yeah, these are more than 10,000 pieces of bread, more than 5,000 pieces of, of, of fish, or whichever way around in that ratio, two to one, or two to five, rather. He knows. He sees more than we see. And all he's saying to you and I is that we must also walk by faith. 
if you are going to do anything tangible for God, do a, a ministry, do even a business that will glorify God and will, will, will succeed very well, you must know how to walk by faith. The news will not tell you how to walk by faith. The people around will not give you, the government will, in fact, the government will show you how more to walk by sight. Government will give you enough statistics to convince you that you should keep walking by sight, as good as they are trying to help. But only the word of God will help you to know how to walk by faith because it opens up precious promises for you. This is why the Bible admonishes us to follow the pattern of those that have gone ahead of us. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. It says, and we desire that each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Until the end. Again, when the writer of Hebrews was writing to these people, many of the writers, if you look at their writing, they wrote as if the end was something they were going to experience. That's why Paul would say, we who are alive and remain will be caught up with <laughs> He saw himself as being alive when Jesus Christ will come again. Because he had an ex experience with Jesus. And as far as he's concerned, he's done everything. He's done, he said, I've run the race. I've done everything. So he's just waiting. Okay, come and take us home now. Come and take us home. So he said, we, who I say, we, we will see him in the heaven when he appears again. And we, he said, the dead in Christ will rise first. He didn't put himself in that group. <laughs> he said, we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him. We are reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. So even the writer of the Hebrews said, keep having the full assurance of hope until the end. Because as far as they were concerned, the end was so near. And the end is still near. 2,000 years later, the end is still near. 3,000 years later, the end is still near. He said, we must continue to have the full assurance of hope. Num why? Number 12. He said, we should not become sluggish, but imitate, copy, be like those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we are admonished to follow their pattern and we must continue to make sure that we endure in our own race. I quickly want to tell you three things that our faith heritage, through these people that have gone ahead of us, that we can learn. These are found in Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 4. Today we'll look, just pick a few of them up to where we read to in verse 22. Again, those of you who are listening to this for the first time, we, uh, uh, we, we, who are listening to this after the recording, we read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 22 in our Bible reading earlier on, so that you can read it and follow us easily. The first faith heritage we should have is that of sacrifice and godly fear. We saw this in the life of Abel and the life of Noah. Let's go back to Hebrews 11 and uh, verse 4. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. So many things in that verse about the, offering, the sacrifice of one man who sacrificed by faith. Notice, he said, more excellent. So Cain's sacrifice is just because of Cain's limited thinking that got him so jealous and so uh, riled up with hatred that he murdered his brother was not regarded as non-excellent. The Bible says more excellent. He offered a more excellent. And what did he do? Just by faith. That means there was a heart connection to God. There was a spiritual connection to God. It's not because he killed animals and, 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 and Cain offered vegetables, as many people have thought. No, it's not because of that. 
the, the faith connection is that Abel had a substance of the God he was hoping to meet. A substance of the God he was hoping to sacrifice to. This should change your mind about how you make your offerings and your sacrifice. Let's not be like Cain who just did something. Because he sacrificed time. Let's just do something. I put together and I'm gone. Another one came, meticulously took animals, cut it up, put it onto the Lord, roasted it, however he offered it, and his heart could touch the heavens. He was grateful. He took out of his flock and he gave it in a way that his heart was connected to God. That's why God said a lot of people draw near him by their lips, with their lips, but their hearts are far. Because Proverbs 16.2 says God is looking for the motives in the heart of every man. So when we talk about faith, we must understand that it should affect the way we give to God. It should affect the way we sacrifice to God. Both the sacrifice of our time, sacrifice of our resources, sacrifice of our lives. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God places a demand on us that we should be living sacrifices. So we know that we should sacrifice. We know that we should put ourselves in a place where we are offering things to God. But do we must know how we do it by faith. The reason why a lot of people are offering, in quote, sacrificing in quote, and they are grumbling at the same time, is because there's no faith involved. When you do it in the realm of men, you are running with horsemen, you will be tired. The Bible says if you run with horsemen and you are tired, that means you are at the realm of horsemen. You are at the realm of footmen. You are at the realm of the natural. So it's not enough to give and sacrifice your time and your energy. This is just a simple barometer. Look at your language. Are you still a complainer doing it? They say to you, we need something to be done, and the task is given to you, and you say, thank you, but under your breath, oh, every time, they should get somebody else to do this thing. I'm not interested. Oh, in fact, I'm tired. <laughs> that means your heart is not connected to the one you serve. I'm not talking to you as a person now. I'm just talking to people who do that. So if you don't do that, nothing to worry about. But if you do, you need to repent. You need to repent because you need to know how to offer an excellent sacrifice. You don't serve God grumbling. It's a waste of time. He will take whatever you bring. Not once, not once did we ever hear that, you know, something was brought and, and God threw it back at the persons or something. It, whatever it is, he will take it, but it does not mean that he accepts it. There are two different things. I want you all to know that Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice by faith. That's the distinction, by faith. Faith. Coming with the, with the heart of the substance of the things hoped for and taking an evidence of the God that you cannot see. As if you can literally see him and talk to him. So you worship him with your time. You worship him with your energy. Every day since we started praying Mondays to Friday. Uh, in, uh, in, in the church for our early morning prayers, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. in January 2018. Every day when I get up at 5, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm excited. Is my body excited? Uh, many times it's not. My body, in fact, will say, do five more minutes. <laughs> Just five more minutes. <laughs> That's what the body will do. 
But the truth of the matter is that the spirit man, the moment it can connect to God, you see an excitement from inside then at the later age. The, the, the thing with the flesh is that it's so weak, it's so feeble. That's why it's easier to control the flesh than you think. The moment your spirit man fires up and he says, let's go, the same body that was complaining 10 minutes ago now starts to be jumping around you. You'll be wondering, ah, I wasn't this energetic before because something on your inside is connected by faith. So I don't stand up, say, oh, oh not again. <laughs> you don't do that. You just get excited. Hallelujah. By faith. So we learn the life of a heritage of sacrifice, faith sacrifice from the life of Abel. For verse 6 says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For him who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is another thing that we must understand. We quote Hebrews 11:6 a lot, but there are two things there that must never be forgotten in the work of faith. Three things. Number one, you cannot please God without faith. He didn't say, without faith, you, you, you may please God, you may not. He didn't say, without faith, you, you, you please God a little. He didn't say, without, he said, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God. And if God says something is impossible, you better believe it. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he, number two, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Some translation says he must believe that he exists. Many believers say they believe that he exists, but every action is showing that they don't believe. Why? Because everything God said is the same things they are complaining about. Every assurance God has given them is the same thing they are complaining about. He said, do not fear, and they keep fearing. Is that, is that believing that God exists? It's not believing so. He said, fear not, and then you are fearing every day, every day. I'm not trivializing the things that make us afraid. I'm only just making us understand. It's either you believe or you don't believe. So if you say, I believe, Lord, that you exist, then you must not fear. You must not fear. You must not speak like those ten spies who God had told that there was a promised land. And then they saw giants and they saw things and they began to say, hey, we are dead. You must not be, you must be like Joshua and Caleb because God has said we are going to have it. That simply means we are going to have it. If God gave you his son, Jesus Christ, and he shed his blood for you and he made a way for you to enjoy the eternal promises in God, then you have nothing to fear. Listen, friends, I have told you many times, and this is not for somebody to be living their lives carelessly. The biggest threat to any human being is death. And the day you can convince the devil that you are no longer afraid to die, that's the last day he will harass you with death. Take it from me. Don't say, ah, pastor, I'm afraid. I don't want to do that because in case <laughs> it's nothing. It's either you know God or you don't. The day you say, if I perish, I've told you many times, I learned that from Esther. If I perish, I perish. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their two stories always told me to be rest assured that you know something? You stay with God and believe. You stay with God and believe. Esther said, I'm going, but if I perish, I perish. And that was the end. The devil could not stop her again. And we know she didn't perish by that action. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God will deliver. I say, even if he does not, we will not bow. And we know that they were, rescued. They were cast into the fire thinking they would kill them. We've gone through that a lot in the last few weeks. But the reality of it here is that we must believe that he exists. 
And then number three, very importantly, you must believe that he is a rewarder. Many people believe that God is there, but they don't believe that he rewards. So they are still trying to gather the rewards by themselves. When you throw yourself at God, believing that he rewards, he is the one that will reward you. When man thinks that they have cheated you out of a deal, they have cheated you out of a promotion, they have cheated you out of a position, God who is your rewarder will give you things that no man can give you or take away from you. When God gives you a thing, no man can give it to you. When God gives you a thing, no man can take it away from you. Impossible. Impossible. That is why when the devil thought he took the life of Christ, <laughs> he did not know that he was wasting his time. Jesus said, I laid down my life and I took it again. The day he died, hey, hey, the demons in hell were rejoicing. The day he was crucified, they thought they killed him at last. When he rose again, he caused a stare and a panic. And ever since then, every faith act in Christ, every faith act in God through Christ follows the same pattern. Don't be subjected to the wiles and dictates of men. Don't let men harass you. Don't let men talk down. And I always say this, that does not mean you should be arrogant to people. Respect authority, respect people, respect everyone, mutual respect for one another. But you know something? You have a God that rewards. This is a very difficult thing to say, but I must say it now. In the light of all that's been happening, our world has been thrown into a lot of things in the last few weeks. Particularly on the matters that just happened a couple of weeks back in the George Floyd uh, sad, very, very sad case of brutal murder under police uh, American police. The whole world is sensitized about this and it has caused a stare and it should. Things like that must stop. These are, these are demonic manifestations of the enemy that must stop. But if I can say a thing or two to brethren and people who are of the race that feels marginalized, the black race especially, that feels marginalized for so long, I think the battle of fighting the establishment has gone for too long in the wrong way. This battle against the establishment must start with a total dependence on God in reality, not church clapping, not okay, doing those things we've been doing. A total sincere dependent on, dependence on God to say, Lord, you have to fight for this race. You have to fight for this oppressed. How do I know that? Very simple. For 400 years, the children of Israel were crying against Egypt, their rulership. The taskmasters were too much. One day, they cried to God. Then God said, I've heard their prayer. I've heard their cry. We can keep talking to the establishments everywhere and keep saying black lives matter and all those things and keep talking those things, which is good to do. But until we understand that the battle must start first with a cry to God to say, Lord, enough is enough. No one race did you create superior to the other. No one race did you create inferior to the other. God created mankind, period. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, black, white, whoever they are, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Man has no right to be inhuman to another man. And then when we hold God, 
He does his own work of deliverance by giving us the wisdom, giving us the strength, giving us the creativity, giving us those things that no man can take away from you. There are things that man can take away from you in this realm. But when, like I said, when God gives those things to you, it becomes impossible to stop you. <laughs> oh, Lord. A couple of years ago, I was in, in, in Poland with my family and we were going through what happened in the time of Hitler. You have heard this story from me a few times. And God, in his own wisdom, wanted to save about 10 to 12,000 children who were Jewish children, especially the younger ones. God wanted to save them. And the only way was to empower a Jewish doctor, the only person that could treat the, the sickness of Heinrich Himmler, who was the, the chief architect of orchestrating the death of the Jews. That was, he was the commander of that operation. Then he fell ill. He became sick. No doctor. Germans are the best doctors in the world. Don't joke. They're very good. When I was in Austria, in, in eight years ago, I went to Austria. I saw something of German brilliance that shocked me. These guys are smart. I went to teach there in a special course last December, uh, December 2019. I went to teach in one of their universities for a special lecture. These boys are sharp. You can't beat them in science. They are sharp. But no one, no one German could treat Heinrich Himmler except this Jewish doctor. And God gave him wisdom. Instead of asking for money, he was asking for exchange of children. The moment he administered the, 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 the treatment, he would ask for some children to be released. The man who was dying would say, yeah, quickly, quickly, he would sign it off. <laughs> they would take them away. He would ask for the next one like that. More than 12,000 kids were rescued like that. You can't beat this God. So let us understand who we need to cry to. If you are sharing on social media, say the God who delivered the children of Egypt, who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, is still the same God. He hasn't changed. He can turn things around. It's only if we are ready to believe him or not. We can decide to want to take this fight in our hands, but we'll keep wasting time. Because he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let us continue to do that. Now, after doing that, then we need to work at it. We need to work at it. We need to encourage our young people to do well for themselves. Joining gangs and gangs and trying to support yourself and doing those things is not the solution. We need to get them into proper schooling, whatever that schooling is. Listen, some of us came from schools that we sat on benches. Today, we are teaching all over the world. Some of us came from schools that did not have roof. I was privileged to come from, not from one of those, but I know my friends who came from schools that did not have roofs. Today, they are surgeons in America. What you're telling me? You are not disadvantaged. With God, God on your side, God will give you everything you need. You will fight, but not the fight that you are fighting now, my precious vessels. You need a fight that is empowered by God, enabled by God, energized by God. Oh my, oh my. Then we will start to see things that we've not seen before. Let us trust God. It is time to go on our knees and cry out to God and say, Lord, bring justice in our world. The people who are doing these things are a minutest fraction that you can never imagine. But they have held the world in so much fear and in so much psychological torment that we think that it is so many people. Just like it was in the land of Egypt. It was just Pharaoh and a few of his associates. But it looked as if the whole nation was the one terrorizing the children of Israel. It comes from just two, three, four people. And that's enough in the hand of the enemy. Until we get our psyche right and say, Lord, have mercy. Take control then we start to see things change. I didn't mean to say all that, but I believe it will help us in this season 
Let's continue to encourage one another. And let's work together, not against a race. That is not the point. Let's work together doesn't mean you are working against a race. You are only working together with God. And him empowering you helps you to form a communal spirit. If you have an opportunity to employ people and give them chance and train young people and mentor them, you are a lawyer, you are a doctor, you are an engineer, you are an educator, you are a nurse, you are whatever. You, you and mentor young people. That doesn't cost anything. Go to the community. Come to institutions like ours, I mean our church who have facilities like this. Say, I want to be training young people from this uh, community. I want to be training them free of charge. I just want to mentor them to let them know what I know and get them encouraged in their studies. That's what you need. With the wisdom of God, you start to see more people getting empowered and these things will change. These things will change by the grace of God. Let's keep going the way God wants us to go. So we need to move. Verse 7, faith also taught us that Noah moved by godly fear. He was warned of things to come. He moved by godly fear. Nothing was ever heard of a flood before that time. Godly fear means you just believe God. You don't know what he's saying. You don't understand. Nobody has ever seen a boat, not to talk of an ark. An ark is a different kind of boat. It's a boat that you sit under it, not on top of it. You live under it. You live inside it, not on top of it. It's a very complex thing. Even today, it's what we would call submarines, technically. But we don't even build arcs anymore. We don't, because submarines actually go to the bottom of the sea and they, 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 they move it there for, for subsea exploration and so on. But this was something new, but he moved with godly fear. When you move with godly fear, you, 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 you draw the kind of grace that Noah drew. You, you move by the faith that he moved also. And then God gives you creativity. He gives you a wise mindset and he helps you to advance. He moved with godly fear. Let us keep moving with godly fear. Godly fear simply means God speaks to you, my son, this is what you need to do for me. You don't look again. You don't think again. You don't analyze again. You just go do it. He said, my son, I need you to rise up in this area and do this for me. You don't argue again. You just stand up and do it as long as he's the one speaking. That is moving with godly fear. The Bible says when he was divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear and then he prepared the ark. I always told you, no one ever went to any school. But just by responding, God gave him the mindset of an architect, the mindset of an engineer, structural engineer, the mindset of an hydraulic engineer, the mindset of an artist because he could shape it up, the mindset of, of, of everyone professional that you would need to be able to build something that is that big and complex for his time. Let us keep moving. Number two, our heritage of faith in obedience. This we learn from Papa himself. Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Simple. We know his story more than anybody else. By faith, he obeyed. Get out, I move. That is Abraham. Sacrifice, I sacrifice. The Bible says he was called out and he went out not knowing where he was going. Again, define logic. Logic will say where you are going out, you put a postcode. and say, this is where I'm going. Huh? That's what logic says. Because you must know where you are going. But faith says just step out and move. That's why when people come and ask me, I know the vision of this church. I know very clearly. Wake me from there. I will tell you this. What God said is the vision. But if you tell me what is, what is certain things, I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm just following. I don't know. I don't know. Are we going to plant church next year in another city? I don't know. But if he says it today, it's going to happen. No, nothing stops it. Nothing. Nothing. Everything you have seen so far is because he has commanded it. As he commands it, I move. As he commands it, I move because I know that my safety, my guarantee, safety and assurance of taking the promise of what he has said is by obeying him. 
Obedience is better than sacrifice. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, is said to hearken than the fat of rams. It is good to sacrifice, but we must understand that the basis of our sacrifice must always be on the altar of obedience. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as intent, never fixed, because he kept on looking for the city. Verse 10, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Which city are you waiting for? The day you buy another three houses? The day you, 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 you build your mansion? <laughs> is that the city you are waiting for? The day you buy five, five cars and you have five garages in your house, is that the city you are waiting for? <laughs> oh, Lord. I pray God blesses you with those things, my dear brother and sister, but don't wait for that city. That's not the city we are waiting for. I don't know about you. I'm waiting for those mansions. Man, I'm waiting because Jesus said he's going there to prepare my place. And I know he's prepared one for you too. Wait for it. Serve for it. Continue to love God for it. Continue to look every day. Keep your gaze on it. It helps you overcome compromise. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Number three, very quickly. I'll just quickly touch on this. Oh, before I go there, the Bible says concerning Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, he said he brought him outside. He said, look toward the heaven, count the stars. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Verse 6, wherever you are, read it. Don't put on your mic, just read it. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The way the people of the Old Testament were called righteous is not how we are called righteousness of God in Christ. They did not have Christ, but they had the word. So when they believed the word, the Bible says, and he believed in the Lord, and it was righteous. Noah believed in the Lord. He was a righteous man. Enoch walked with God. He believed with God, and he was called righteous. That is how they were called righteous in the Old Testament. Many people have been asking, how will the Old Testament people go to heaven because they did not have Christ and believe in Christ? You have had your answer today. Just believe in the word of the Lord. That was it for them. We Come through Christ. We must confess Christ. After Christ manifested, we must confess Christ. That became the rule. After John 3, 16, it became the rule. And that is the eternal rule. It is not going to change again. And it did not promise that any other person will come after Christ. That's why any religion and anyone who says that somebody came after Christ and he says what Christ did is temporal, then that person is not going in line with Scripture. I didn't say so, but that's what Scripture said. Neither can any, any other foundation be laid except that which has been laid by Jesus Christ. So the scriptures tell us. So we must have the heritage of obedience. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. Look at the word. He offered Isaac. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. He offered Isaac. Isaac, when he was tested, he did not yet kill Isaac. When the Bible records that he offered Isaac, it shows that the whole act of putting him on the altar, ready to slaughter him, was good enough as an offering. There are certain things that you need to read the details in the Bible, then you will, you will see God in some ways. The Bible says when Elijah said, if God be God, if God be God, or God, let him be God. If Baal, then Baal. He put water on the thing and everything. The Bible says fire came, licked the sacrifice and licked the stones, licked the water. There are certain ways you can provoke God when you obey to a, a call. The Bible says by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He offered up Isaac, even though 
we know Isaac was never fully slaughtered, but that action, God said, ah, I know. Because the heart, the heart has already done the offering. By faith, when he was tested, and all his sons kept on going by faith. Verse 20, faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Throughout the week, we'll be looking at some of these details some more. By faith, Jacob himself, when he was dying, blessed his sons. By faith, by faith, by faith. Always looking at what was to come next. Always looking for what was coming next. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, Joseph knew 400 years was going to come to pass. At some point, he may not know exactly 400, but he knows that at some point, they were, going to, they were going to live to the land. So he gave instructions concerning his bones. He gave instructions concerning his bones. And he said to them, he said that they should make sure that they don't leave his bones in the land. You can read his story in Genesis 50, verse 24 to verse 26. He said they must take it to the promised land. As a matter of fact, they never buried Joseph in the ground in Egypt. They embalmed him, kept him in a coffin. That's what the Bible says. And for all those years, you know, the Egyptians taught them a lot about the uh, Egyptian mummies. You know, the story of the Egyptian mummies, they, they had the best way of preserving dead bodies. And I think till today. Because they look exactly the way they were the day they died. And, uh, they, 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 and on the day that <laughs> they were living, they carried him and went and buried him in the promised land, just like he demanded. Because he recognized that, that the promise was beyond Egypt. His brothers thought that they were going to, he was going to kill them after their father died. He said, oh, no, you guys, are, you don't get it. God sent me here to preserve life. You thought you were doing me evil, but God knows. The same way many people today are looking at you, thinking that they are doing you evil, thinking that they are hurting you. They don't know that you are, they are helping you to fulfill the divine plan. And you, in that process, in many cases, you are even saving them also. Joseph said, what are you guys talking? Dad died, and so you think, if I... He said, no, 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 you guys thought you were doing me evil that time. This is a forgotten matter. God sent me here to preserve life, but this is my instruction. Don't leave me in this land. <laughs> Tell your children, 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 because it was 401 years, about after 400 years later, that he was eventually moved. You know, after the 400, total of 430 years they spent in the land. So we need to understand this. And God is going to help us. I want to close by saying to us, the Bible says if we are raised with Christ, let us seek those things which are above, which are Christ's. We must remain fixed on the things which are above all the time. Limiting our thought every day to these earthly pleasures, earthly things will limit us extensively. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, primarily, apart from accepting Christ, is the faith of the eternal promise of the life after now. The things that are above, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, those things are eternal. The things that are here are temporal. Don't get so fixated on them. We will use them, we will have them, we will use them by the grace of God, but our lives don't end here. And so by the grace of God today, we're going to take a communion to remind us that the precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us, not so that we just live life here to the full. The Bible says that we might have abundant life, have life and have it more abundantly. That is to say,
beyond the life that we now see, right through to eternity, against every plan of Satan to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In the name of Jesus, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We are grateful because you have many things to tell us. And we pray that over time, we will keep learning at your feet, knowing more and more of these things. There is so much you want to say. Even this morning alone, time fails us, but we know that, Lord, you have said the things that you need to say right now. We just pray that as we go on through this week, that you will continue to minister these things to us, especially as we wait on you tomorrow. Help us to learn. In Jesus' name.